So hey guys, we're back. Uh, hope everyone is doing well. Uh, I got a great guy on the phone today that uh, I've been watching and and uh, from a distance, even though we've spoken several times, I think you're going to love love his story. Uh, before we get into his story, uh, I want to talk about the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest running newspaper. Uh, you can join and be a subscriber and get it delivered right to your door for $60 for three years. I always tell people to do the $60 for three years because if you go to year to year to year, it'll cost you $15 more and 15 bucks is uh, definitely worth the saving. So go on tombstoneepitaph.com. Join for the three years. You won't have to worry about it, and you'll get Arizona's longest-running newspaper that is crammed full of Western history delivered right to your door. I also want to thank my second family over at the Wild West History Association. Uh, you can join for around 75 bucks. You get the journal four times a year delivered right to your door. It's 100-plus pages of uh, Western history with true, pro true provenance, and uh, you get also... Roundup and Roundup 2023 is going to be in San Antonio, Texas, and we're going to the Alamo. And we're going to be all over San Antonio, Texas with some of the best researchers, writers, and historians that are going to be sharing their knowledge with you. And for me, it was amazing when we went to Deadwood 2022. I got to sit with uh, Kurt House and John Bosnecker and guy, uh, Roy Young and David DeHaas, they all sat at my table at a bar in Deadwood. And, and I wouldn't have gotten that if I wouldn't have been a member of the WWHA. There just would have been no way. And so uh, it was a fabulous event. And I hope to see you in San Antonio at 2023. But if you want to join the WWHA, please do so by going to wildwesthistory.org. You can also find the WWHA on Facebook. Uh, David Guyton, a friend of mine, he's over there taking care of the folks on the Instagram page and Pam and them and the gang is all taking care of, um, and Eddie and Pam are taking care of the YouTube page and you want, I mean, if you want history, I mean, just surrounded, like just surrounded around you, you've got the journal, you've got the YouTube page, you've got Facebook, you've got Instagram, you can get it all. And that's by joining and subscribing to all those individual pages including instagram and follow the follow button or hit the follow button and uh, that's the wild west history association again to join go to wildwesthistory.org so um a, a few years back john bosnecker recommended that i go to an event called ttr and i met nancy sosa and um uh, Eric Erdman and all these wonderful people at my first TTR about three years ago. And, uh, there was a guy sitting there and he was, um, uh, tall, got a great handlebar mustache. I mean, just a beautiful mustache. And, um, I didn't know who he was, but as he began to speak, the knowledge of Cochise County history and the history that he knows and loves it just, he just began to speak about it and talk about it. And I knew someday that I wanted to get him on a podcast and his name is Doug Hawking. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Doug. Uh, he's an independent scholar who's completed advanced studies in American history and, th and I'm going to blow this one, ethnology and historical archaeology. Um, he's raised on the Hikaria. Is that right? Yeah, the Hikaria. Hikaria. Apache Reservation in New Mexico. 
Uh, he's a retired from the U.S. Army after serving in military intelligence, which I don't know what that means, but I'm going to bet he can kill me with one finger. I, I, I'm not even going to go there. Um, he's also an officer in the armed cavalry. His book, Terror on the Santa Fe Trail, won the 2020 Will Rogers Medallion Award, uh, the Co-Founders Award, and a Spur Award. His biography of Tom Jeffords. Now, Tom Jeffords was the very first book that I bought of his, and that was the one where I was. I read it. I, it was a great read. I couldn't put it down. And that book has went won a Will Rogers Medallion and a New Mexico Arizona Book Award. Uh, he's the sheriff of the Cochise County Corral, a member of the board with Southern Trails Chapter of the Oregon California Trails Association. He's a member of the uh, Cochise County Historical Society. Um, and oh my gosh, and what else? Uh, he writes newsletters and newspapers, and he writes a quarterly journal of frontier history uh, for the Front Street Mail, and is uh, also writes a bi or it is a bi monthly newsletter, and both can be found at Cochise Corral dot org. Let me say that again: CochiseCountyCorral dot org. He lives in Tombstone. He lives between Tombstone and Sierra Vista with his wife Debbie, and. I think he does auto detailing on the side. I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> he, he's laughing. He's you know, he's like, oh my gosh, they found out the truth. But seriousness. Now he's written a new book that we're going to talk about his new book today. Um, he's written again. He's written the Tom Jeffords friend of Cochise, uh, the Black Legend, Gene uh, uh, George Bascom, and the Cochise County. No, and the Cochise. And what did I write? Oh, and the start of the George Apache Bascom, Wars. Cochise and the start of the Apache there Wars. There you go. Terrain on the Santa Fe Trail, his new book, which is Southwest Train Robberies. Uh, he's written a book called Massacre at the Point of Rocks, which sounds interesting. I want to get. Mystery at Chaco Canyon. Um, Chaco. Yeah. Chaco Canyon. Uh, and Devil on the Loose and the Wildest West. The one that we're going to be focusing on today, which uh, after we get a little more about him and uh, because he's got a fascinating story, is a Southwest train robberies. Um, if you really want to find out about Doug, uh, you can go to DougHawking.com. And that's D-O-U-G-H-O-C-K-I-N-G.com. DougHawking.com. And his book can be found on Amazon and booksellers near you. And if you go, can we buy through the website if we go to Doug Hawking? Oh, you bet. Okay. You bet. So you've got a, a fascinating life story in the fact that you're born and raised on the East Coast, but you ended up growing up on an Indian reservation in New Mexico. Tell us about that. Well, I don't know if you're from the East Coast. You might have heard of Levittown. No. Uh, Levitt uh, built a whole city out of the potato fields on Long Island uh, after World War II. We say Levitt built it. Really, my dad built it. He was Levitt's construction superintendent. Um, Le my mother had been a missionary. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> she... <laughs> Tutored Billy Graham at uh, Wheaton College. And uh, Billy would come in and say, this stuff's all Greek to me. 
Fortunately, it was. Um, she uh, took Dad to a Billy Graham crusade in New York City. And after that, he wanted to be a missionary. So we ended up on the Hickory Apache Reservation, which is where I grew up. But when you got so, to the reservation from the East Coast, was were you real young? Was it a cultural shock? Yeah, I, I was under 10. Cultural shock, I don't know. I, I've been watching all them Westerns on TV. I wanted to meet Tonto. Hmm. So, <laughs> you know, it, uh, I was looking forward to it. But what was life like growing up on the reservation? Well, the hardest part was really the hopelessness of the Indians. Um, you know, we were isolated 125 miles from Santa Fe, which was really the nearest town of any size. Um, and there were no jobs in the area. Uh, the government did a wonderful job of saying, hey, you need to have a tribal herd instead of private herds. And in consequence, by the time I got there, there wasn't a herd anymore. Uh, they, they've been successful um, sheep breeders. And uh, the government helped them wipe that out. And so there were, there were no jobs, no future. And suicide and accidental death uh, were just... You know, every day, half my classmates were dead by the time that we finished high school. So that was the hard part. Of course, the other side of that is that um, I've still got good friends from Dulce. Uh, and people that we see, you know, a couple times a year with a little luck. Um, a few years ago, we went to uh, Fort Union. And they were having a special uh, festival, and they had invited the Hickorya. There were Hickorya dancers and the Hickorya craftsmen, and the tribal historian was there. And I got introduced to him for the first time. And he looked at me and said, oh, Doug Hawking, you used to date my cousin Letha. <laughs> I thought, that was 55 years ago. <laughs> so... um. It's good that uh, that there's still good friends there. Um, but if, for folks that don't know, he mentioned Fort Union, and Fort Union is northeast of Las Vegas, New Mexico, off of Interstate 25. Um, it is free and open to the public. I just went this summer and was blown away. I... I did not expect Fort Union to be what it was. Um, I urge you to look them up. Look up Fort Union, New Mexico on the internet. Look at the photos and then put Fort Union on your travel plans. Because not only can you stay in Las Vegas, New Mexico, which is so much there. I mean, that I've been three times now and still haven't seen everything. But you get the Fort Union, which is a, it's free to the public, and that is, you can see the Santa Fe Trail, the ruts from the Santa Fe Trail, and uh, it's a huge fort. It's 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 massive. So I urge you to put Fort Union on your travel plans. 
When we're growing up on the reservation, though, did you learn the native language? Was did they no? Did they accept you openly? I mean, even though you dated you dated his sister, but were you accepted within the population? It takes about three years for them to get to know you. Until then, they're very suspicious, and it's just because they're not used to outsiders. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a cousin. You know, you've got a tribal population that back then was about 2,000 people. And uh, you're isolated up in the mountains, 8,000 feet. And uh, everybody related to their cousins and and their half-brothers and half-sisters. And, you know, I was an outsider. It takes a while. Did you did you learn the language at all, or were you able to understand it, or was it just so difficult that you couldn't get there? At that point, the government schools were still working very hard uh, to forbid the people from speaking their language. So the language wasn't widely spoken except by older people. Mm. Um. And I was, you know, dealing mostly with young people. So as you moved on in life, did you go right into the military after high school? Or was there a gap? (laughs) No, right out of high school. And where Um, did you serve? Yeah, and served. uh, Taiwan, Thailand, the Pentagon. Wow. Wow. And, And what was your role there? At the Pentagon? No, I mean, I was because your your um, your bio says um, that you know you really had a distinguished career as far as you know serving in military intelligence. I'm sure there's probably things you can't speak of, but did were you in just regular army and then you worked your way up? Well, they were recruiting linguists, uh, people to train as linguists. Uh, in 1968, <clears throat> uh, all of a sudden, for some reason, we needed a whole bunch of Korean linguists because they uh, thought we were going to war over the Pueblo incident. Uh, and then they found out they didn't need so many of us, and I ended up doing other things. Uh, I ended up doing some counterintelligence work, which really was uh, just doing investigations. Uh, Oh, people who were suspected of being security risks. Mm. Nothing really exciting. And then at the Pentagon, I was working on a congressional presentation document on the military assistance program worldwide. Wow. This is how we're going to sell to Congress how much money we need for each of these countries. And how long did you serve? Uh, I was in four years at that time, and then I was in the reserves. I was uh, <laughs> I was an interrogator in the reserves. Uh and went through graduate school 
And after graduate school, I went back in the Army as armored cavalry, which was frankly a lot more fun. When you when you got out of the military, what would what was your full time job? Because that was the next thing I was going to ask you. Is you didn't list it, or have you been writing and teaching that whole time, or or studying? What was your full time job after the military? Oh, I sold real estate for a while, and I taught junior college for a while. Um, worked in the. Uh, uh, in the uh, tourist industry. In fact, uh, it was. I, I got good at storytelling, telling tall tales to tourists. Mm. And then, how uh, long did you end up? Were Were you living back in New Mexico after the military, or how long? Where were you living at that time? Well, my last assignment was to Fort Huachuca. Oh. <clears throat> as the representative of the armor branch to the intelligence school. And uh, mostly I was teaching lieutenants uh, about combat arms and tactical intelligence. So you get out of Fort, if you get out of Fort Huachuca, you must have stayed in Sierra Vista. I don't want to say exactly where you live in Cochise County, but you must have stayed in Sierra Vista area. Right. We retired here thinking that we would need to be near the PX and the commissary and the hospital. And then they sort of changed the rules on everything and it became less of a necessity, but I was already settled in down here. So you get and it turns out to be a really interesting area. Well, that's what I'm going to get into because you end up getting out of the military, military, you settled now in Cochise County. What happened where you started, I would assume, you started pushing the boundaries as far as exploration and you started, you just, did you just start going out into the county or did you go to Tombstone first and went, oh my gosh, because that's how I got into Cochise was going to Tombstone first and then realizing there's more to Cochise County than Tombstone. Well, you know, I'd be hard pressed to think where I got started. Uh, maybe Terranate, hmm. which is the uh, the Spanish Presidio on, on the San Pedro River. Uh, and the more we looked into it, you know, Coronado came through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the 32nd degree corridor. We are the a series of low passes through the Rocky Mountains that link the East Coast to the West Coast. So this became the route for the Southern Pacific Railroad, uh, the route for the Overland Mail. Uh, and with that, all that activity here, it opened the country up for mining. So we've got Bisbee, Tombstone, um, Silver City, Santa Rita, you know, all these huge mining operations uh, that are partly here because... They had access to the railroad. They could actually export their uh, their ore. And, of course, we were the end point for the cattle drives that came up from Texas. Um, 
they would come up here and sell off the cows to the army and the Indian reservations, pay off the drovers, and those guys would go out and spend their money on wine, women, song, and gambling and totally waste the rest of it and then have no way to get back to Texas, even if they weren't wanted by the law in Texas. Uh, they'd have no money to get back, no prospects of a job. So they settled into doing what they knew best, cattle rustling. And when that became less profitable because ranches established in the area, uh, they went after stagecoaches. And when the railroad replaced the stagecoaches, they started going after the railroads. Between 1883 and uh, 1922, we had something like 16 robberies down here. And almost all of them come back to Cochise County. Either it was our outlaws, our lawmen, or the robberies took place right here. Mm. I mean, we got places like Steens, which is just over the border into Grant County. Right. A hundred miles from the law in Silver City, a hundred miles from the law uh, in, in Tombstone, no law in Steens. So three times they held up the train there and they'd hop on board and tell them, take this train to Cochise County. Uh, now, which jurisdiction are we in? You know, where did the train get robbed? And, um, yeah, <laughs> that gets a little far afield, but, uh, Cochise County has just got so much. I mean, this whole southeastern area we've got our own four corners chihuahua sonora new mexico and arizona mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> crazy so you were and of course i'm sorry go on ahead. I no was, no go on ahead i was going to ask you about your exploring because when you were going out and exploring cochise county before you wrote your book i mean you've written other books but when you were exploring cochise county Getting out of the military, was it easier? Were you just going out into the open desert and just walking? Because I love to do that. I'll I'll just pull the truck over like a Fairbank and just walk out in the open desert, being mindful of private property, but just walk. And was that something that you did? Because you've turned me on to locations that aren't on a map that probably are only found by getting out and walking. Well, a lot of them I found by looking at historic um, records, uh, looking at what people had written and going, this has to be over here. Mm. Um, Yeah, some things I found by walking uh, to what I thought was one place and found another place along the way. And... Some of it is a little bit of training uh, at the graduate level in uh, archaeology, historic archaeology. So coming along the ground, you see something, you go, oh, whoop, I know what time period that's from. And it's sort of getting a feel for, oh, this must be this place. Wow. Um, It's like, you know, reading about how Charleston's all gone, and then you get into the, uh, the mesquite. The whole town's still there if you know what to look for. Right. Contention but, City. God, I was in there in 
in 88. And they had just bulldozed that place. Uh, and there was all this broken glass and tin and everything leveled. And people, oh, there's only two buildings left. Well, um, I found about 10 now. They couldn't get into the, the heavy mesquite. There's all the whole village down in the mesquite. So all of that is there, and I, I know people are going to listen going, where, where is it? I'm not going to tell you where. Um, and the only reason I'm, I'm saying that is, is because, like with Charleston, as people have a way of taking a little bit of it, and, you know, the worry is for the folks that know where Charleston is, is um, keeping it protected. The same thing with Contention City. The cemetery is still there, but you got to know where to look. But, you know, right. we have to protect it. When, when did you decide at some point, as you were cruising around Cochise County, that you were going to start to write books about Cochise County? Oh, gosh, it's been, oh, I guess, almost 20 years now. My mother was always after me to start writing. And in the Army, I sort of found out that I could. I kept getting drafted to, for writing and investigative work uh, because they found out I could actually do it. Uh, <laughs> Armor Officer Advanced Course, 120 officers, and we had to take a, a writing class. And I was the only one that passed it the first time through. Go figure. Um, anyway, mother pressed me. She said, all your ancestors wrote. You've got ancestors from 1640 that still have books in print. Um, the first... Um, grammar of an Indian language was still in print done by one of my ancestors. That's crazy. So, so if yeah. you're wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to Doug Hawking. Um, Doug is a writer and historian living in Cochise County. If you want to find out more about Doug, go to DougHawking.com. That's D-O-U-G-H-O-C-K-I-N-G. That's DougHawking.com. Um, your new book out now about Southwest train robberies. Why that subject? Was it something you've always been fascinated with? Was it maybe that all the other information that you've unearthed also was showing up and with train robberies? What, what, what drove you to write a book about train robberies in the Southwest? Well, um, God, it's, it's been 10 years ago, I guess. Uh, one of the local TV stations was doing a history series and I got asked, uh, to talk about the train robbery at Cochise. And, um, in going through the standard histories, I found out that the story uh, had three different train robberies all confused, <clears throat> had pieces and parts, and none of them were were right. 
And so I started looking into it uh, just to sort them out uh, in my own mind. And um, I don't know, at some point I realized that they were really, most of them hilariously funny and would probably appeal to um, a wide audience. Uh, I mean, you know, how many times are you going to find the posse getting arrested for kidnapping um, one of the train robbers because it happened to be his hometown, even though they had the papers. Um, or another posse that went down into Mexico and they got down there and they said, well, we better let the Mexicans know we're here. And at Hanos, they promptly got arrested for illegally importing horses and weapons into Mexico and ended up in what they said, the dungeon in, in Hanos, creating an international incident. They were held for about six weeks while the government tried to sort it out. Um, I, I mentioned the, uh, the holdup at Cochise. They were after the payroll going down to Pierce. The payroll had come in two days before, was taken off the train at Wilcox and went down in a shipment of groceries uh, disguised. But it turned out to be one of the most successful train robberies in the Southwest. <clears throat> they got in there at 11 o'clock at night. They opened the doors of the express car, which is where the, the cash and mail is kept. And the boys jumped on the train. Didn't even wake up the passengers. Disconnected the passenger cars, took the train a mile or so out of town, and then tried to blow the safe. That woke up the passengers, one of whom was um, a greenhorn with a brand new six shooter. He ran out and began firing it into the dark, had to be physically restrained. The boys get the safe all open and rode back to Wilcox where their tracks were lost <laughs> uh, in all the tracks around the town, mm -hmm. went in through the window of a saloon where the other members of their group had been playing cards and drinking whiskey for four all night. Uh, thus establishing their alibi. Hmm. And they were totally in clear. Uh, in fact, joined the posse the next day. I, I didn't mention this. The, the <laughs> One of the fellows who pulled the robbery was the deputy uh, constable of Wilcox. And the guy playing cards in the back room was the head constable. So it was the Wilcox police that pulled the robbery. And five months go by, they're trying to round them up. Thacker, the Wells Fargo detective, comes in. He says, I always knew who it was. I just didn't have enough evidence. Yeah, Thacker, that's why you gave the guy a gun and took him along with you <clears throat> to arrest one of the others. Hmm. Um, the deputy constable got greedy. I didn't get enough mo money out of that old up. So he tried it again at Fairbank. Uh, and in the process, Three Finger Jack got wounded, left behind, uh, dying. He was annoyed. 
and uh, ratted everybody out to the sheriff and then died. And the sheriff said, those two idiots and Wilcox, they planned this? And, uh, so the deputy constable goes state's evidence, and they let him out on his own recognizance. He goes out to arrest one of the other guys, gets a gun from Thacker. Uh, they come back to town, and on the way, it becomes clear that the fellow they're bringing in is also going to go state's evidence. Uh, he's taken into a restaurant to talk it over with the law. And uh, Billy, the other the deputy constable, is now out with a gun, and he's thinking, you know, I could be in trouble now. So he breaks everybody out of jail with the gun that Thacker gave him. <laughs> oh, the story, uh, the story gets even better. He runs for Mexico where he gets hired as an Arizona Ranger. <laughs> Can you see why I, I went into these stories? It's just a, no, this can't be real. If you wrote this as fiction, nobody would believe you. But you wrote it. You you deep researched the history. Was the was the yep. the information readily available? Did you go down to the county records, or, or where did you end up finding most of this? Actually, I was able to trace a lot of it through the newspapers, mm. and some of it through friends, um, other historians, uh, the museum up in Wilcox, uh, and the one down in Bisbee. Uh, had records and photographs. Wow. I've used the Arizona Historical Society in the past. Um, yeah, and I've used county records. Uh, when I did Jeffords, uh, I found a lot of mining records down there. was able to trace Jeffords through the mining records. The railroads... They really, there was multiple rail lines throughout Cochise County. You know, like there was the one that went to Fairbank and then went to Patagonia and then down south all the way into New Mexico. There were rail lines, the one to Pierce and, you know, already my friend is Joanne is going to listen to this screaming out the name. Cortland, the one into Cortland. There were rail lines... Were were some rail lines safer than others, or or were more hit than ones that went in and out of mining towns, like the one that would go to Pierce or the one that would go to Cortland? I would think would have more more money involved than the la the rail line that that went to, you know, Dos Cabezas. Well, it was the Southern Pacific. That got hit most of the time. The main line, that's where the big payrolls were, and they would distribute it from that line. Uh, the line from Cochise, excuse me, through Pierce, Cortland, and into Gleason never got hit. They planned an extension of that all the way down to Paul Spur and Bisbee. Uh, I've, I've driven on the roadbed, I don't know that, it, that rails ever got finished. Mm -hmm. Sulphur Spring Valley had another line that ran from Wilcox to Douglas. Um, there was a line to uh, Dos Cabezas. Um, oh, gosh. 
but the the two that got hit were the Southern Pacific and the El Paso and Southwestern. Now, trying to explain our railroads is difficult. Southern, difficult. The Southern Pacific comes in. The Santa Fe comes in. They join the Southern Pacific at Deming. They couldn't get rights to a seaport in California. So they decided to go to Wymus in Mexico. And at Benson, they ran a line south to Fairbank and then over to Nogales and from Nogales down to Wymus. That one got hit twice. Uh, and that's, uh, it's the Arizona, well, let me think now. Uh, the Arizona New Mexico Railroad. Uh, but it's really part of the Santa Fe system. And then, uh, Phelps Dodge down in Bisbee got tired of the shipping rates, uh, on the Southern Pacific. And they built their own railroad from up by Benson uh, down to Fairbank and then on to Bisbee. And eventually in 1903, uh, they completed that all the way to El Paso. Right. That's the one that goes through the tunnel down by, I think, Camp Naco? Yes, that is the one that's in the tunnel down by Camp Naco. Oh, Naco, thank you. And so people right now, if you're listening, they're like, what, what tunnel? Well, I'm not going to tell you that one either. Um, <laughs> it's it's probably best that you not. But if you really want to learn about um, the railroads in Cochise County, um, I was turned on to a book. You can get it at Abe's Books. It is a collector book. I have a first edition, Volume 1, and that is Railroads of Arizona, Volume 1, The Southerns, uh, the Southern Roads uh, by David F. Myrick. Um, that book for me is my Bible. I actually carry it with me when I come to Cochise and I'm in an exploring m mood and I will trace out the rail lines. This is how I found Kelton, uh, the town of Kelton and Webb, where my friend Joanne lives. And there is so much history there in Arizona. So if you're really wanting to learn as well as get Doug's book, if you're wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to Doug Hawking and Doug has a new book out called Southwest train robberies. What is the complete name of it, Doug? Oh, South, I, it's, it's Southwest train I'm robberies. I'm checking the tracks on the Southern corridor. There you go. And you can find his book at um, DougHawking.com. But if you want to learn about the railroads themselves, I really urge you to get the Railroads of Arizona, Volume 1, if you can find it. They're no longer in print. Um, and it's by David F. Myrick. And that's M-Y-R-I-C-K, David F. Myrick. The rail lines were important to Cochise County because it brought people, it brought wealth, it brought goods. A lot of people think that the rail line went into Tombstone during its heyday, and it did not, correct? Not until 1903 or 1904. And that was because of the unbuilt railroad. Uh, and we think now, 
It's 1903, oh, I think. Mexico and Arizona. Mm-hmm. It was local businessmen, including Colonel Oker, that got together to build a railroad. And they did all the fancy cuts and fills and got the right of way and then ran out of money. But they had the, uh, the right of way tied up. And it wasn't until 1903, well after Tombstone, well, Tombstone's second heyday, that they uh, were able to complete the rail line. By the way, that's a fun one to drive on. Well, if you get to Fairbank and you get to the other side of the road, I think that's the Charleston crossing, the Charleston Bridge crossing. Is that, is that right? I think that's right. Um, no, it's south yeah. of Charleston. Um, yeah, Charleston's six miles south of Fairbank. Right. So if you go to the Fairbank crossing, uh-huh. I think there's a Y. And if you use Google Earth, you can actually see the Y from Google Earth that heads up into Tombstone. And if you're wanting to ever see the Tombstone Depot, it's actually now the city library. And yes. it's still in use. Uh, if you get around back behind uh, the library into the public parking lot, actually, it's not really a public parking lot. There's some... There's rail lines back there where the line, I think the line went back behind the courthouse. Um, I could be wrong. The line ran behind the courthouse, and it it also went up the hill. Um, oh, gosh. Um, it continued well beyond up to the mines. <clears throat> and I don't know how, how to describe the hill. But, yeah, um, I got you. Yeah. It goes, I think it went back behind the hill. Went behind it and went, then went up the hill up towards the water tank. I think right. that's right. But you, if you want to see the, the rail line, actually not the rail line, but the um, the train station, it's a city library. And so you want to check that out. In your book, I haven't read the book yet, but I've looked through it. In your book, what was the, the one at Cochise was probably the, the the most odd. What was the one that was there a, a train robbery that either the most people were injured or the most memorable to you that or the one that cost the county the most money? <laughs> well, probably the most memorable train robbery was pulled off by a couple of local cowboys who were also rodeo cowboys. Uh, and they, um, excuse me, they were going to ride the train from Wilcox as deadheads, which is what they called hobos. And they were in the blind baggage, which is the end of the baggage car right next to the tender, uh, where there's no door or window and therefore blind. And that's where hobos would hide. So they're hiding in there and they were detected. And they offered the firemen a buck to let them ride to Cochise Summit or Dragoon Summit. And apparently that wasn't enough because uh, he turned him down and they pulled their guns and escorted him back to the engine. And by now the whole town of Wilcox knows that the train is being taken. 
and uh, everybody but one person, Sheriff C.S. Fly, the photographer, hmm. was in town on business, and nobody in Wilcox would tell him, in Wilcox telling that there's a robbery going on would be considered unsporting. When he finally finds out the train's leaving town, he can't find a horse. So he runs after the train for over a mile on foot. Out in the playa, the boys unhook the passenger cars. Meanwhile, the express agent, who's been held up before, is shoving all the loose money that he can find into his pockets and his shirt. He jumps off the express car, closing the door behind him, and goes running back toward Wilcox, perhaps planning to meet Sheriff Fly. Anyway, they take the train a little further out, um, and now they take the engineer back and say, we'll blow his head off if you don't open the express car. The express agent, well on his way to Wilcox, cannot hear them. I Instead, they blow the door off with giant powder. They get inside, they find 8,000 pesos in 1,000 peso sacks, and they use them to tamp the explosion. And when they blow the thing, they blow the express car all over the playa. They blow pesos all over the playa, which we were still finding in the 1960s. And, of course, they cracked the safe. And they are now pursued by five posses who happen to have a picture of one of the guys because he's been giving them out to the pretty girls. He's a rodeo cowboy, and everybody in, in, in the county knows him. <laughs> and, of course, they inspired Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid to try the same thing four years later. Uh, we know it was inspiration and not mere coincidence because Butch and Sundance did it at Wilcox, Wyoming. That's and crazy. why else would they have picked Wilcox? That's crazy. <laughs> Something else. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that story goes on and it just, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. Now, again, it, I want to say this about Wilcox. Wilcox has a beautifully intact train depot that I think yes. they use as a city hall, correct? Yes, it is. Gosh, and they have and a museum there. So if you guys are looking for something to do, go to Wilcox and see the train depot because it is beautiful. And incidentally... That's where um, Warren Earp is buried. And you can kind of go and see the area where Johnny Boyette killed Warren Earp. And you can go to Warren Earp's grave. So there, Wilcox holds a lot of history. And that's, that's why I was talking to another guy. I think I mentioned it to you. We did earlier, which is Cochise County has a lot more history than just Tombstone. So if you go to Co Tombstone, make sure you spend some time in Cochise County because there's so much to see. If I've asked this question before, I asked Dr. Gary Roberts this question about Doc Holliday when I interviewed him. If Doug could go on a time machine in Cochise County and go back to a time, 
what would it be and what would you like to see? Oh, wow. <laughs> and the reason I ask that is, is you have such extensive yeah. knowledge of Cochise County. There, and there's been so many events that have shaped and been part of Wild West history. And you've seen so much of Cochise County because some people just get into Tombstone and they focus their research on Tombstone and you've got so much Cochise County history. Is there something you'd yeah, want to see? I was just thinking, what what would be the, uh, the most interesting event? And, you know, it might have been uh, October 1872 at Cochise's Stronghold for the meeting between Jeffords, Cochise, and O.O. Howard. Mm. That would have been indeed interesting. And you wrote about uh, that in your book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Jeffords, friend of Cochise. Wow. Um, and, of course, that's all before, you know, that's, what, five years before Tombstone? Right. <laughs> Is um the county? I'm yeah. Sorry, go, go no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm saying at that point the county is, except for Cochise, is pretty much empty. Um, you wouldn't. You might recognize the name Ochoaville. Uh, Ochoaville was here, and uh, I'm trying to think what else was. Well, I don't think it would have been Cochise County at that point. It wouldn't have been Cochise County then. I think it would have been Pima County. Would have been Pima County. But still, the area would have been intact and it would have looked a lot different. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Is, You're just beginning to get a few settlers uh, into the San Pedro Valley. Ochoaville is down south of Palominas, hmm. uh, within a mile of the border. On the, on the river itself. On the San Pedro, yeah. But it was wider then, correct? The river was wide, like, <laughs> then, like, not like it uh, is now. No, the river's pretty much as it is now. Oh, is it? For some reason, I thought it was yeah. wider. Um, there, there's people that have put that story around and, you know, of course, we love the story about the uh, uh, the steamboats on the San Pedro. Right. Somebody saw a picture of steamboats over on the Colorado and associated it with mm. with the San Pedro somehow. Um, steamboats couldn't have gotten up to Gila. It was dry in sections. So was the San Pedro. There were dams on the San Pedro. Uh, there was a dam just north of um, of Fairbank in the Narrows that apparently had been built by the Indians. Wow. Yeah. That's so uh, The Mormon Battalion going through there in 1846 were fishing in the lake behind it, and they were catching what they called 18-inch, 18-inch, Salmon trout. A salmon trout is apparently a Gila chub, hmm. but that—that's what they called them. 
Uh, you imagine fish 18 inches long, but you had a nice lake in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, wow. the, the stories from the earthquake of 1887, if you go back and look at the newspaper articles at St. David, uh, they're going, oh, the river stopped completely after the earthquake. And then it came back four feet deep and rapidly diminished to its previous flow. Hmm. And obviously there'd been a landslide somewhere that blocked the river for a while. And when it came out, you got a flash flood and then diminished. And everything, you walk the railroads, go look at the railroad they built in 18. 81 and 82 and look at where the footings are for the bridges Mm. and you'll find out they're right down there where where the river is now um it's um well that's amazing because that's the one area when i do the podcast is i like getting the truth from the researcher and so you know my my brain, I had read articles of that, you know, the river was wide and that there was a steamboat on it. And I'm glad I, I learned really from you guys saying, no, Mike, that that's not true. So I'm glad that you set the record straight. Do you, um, yeah, that's yeah. the story got started in the 1920s and thirties and people looked at what appeared to be the, Um, The higher banks of the river, um, the bench, and they started making stories about it. You know, we probably had a little more water because the 19th century was a bit wetter and colder than we are now. Well, if you're wondering who we're speaking to, we're talking to Doug Hawking. You can find him at Doug hawking.com he's got a new book out uh, about southwest train robberies uh, you can find it at amazon and booksellers near you if you look at the uh, cover photo on your podcast that's the cover um, of the book and again i urge you to get it again if you want to know more about doug you can purchase books there and he's got also all the books that he's written um, and you can do so by going to Doug Hawking, D-O-U-G, Hawking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G dot com. Um, anything else? You got about a minute left. Okay, well, the book is available on Amazon for pre-order. It okay. comes out in the spring. Uh, the other three histories are, well, all my books are available on Amazon. Um if you order them on my website, they come signed. Ooh, Otherwise, uh, we're going to be at Mescal, uh, what, next next Friday and Saturday for their Christmas celebration. We'll be up there selling books. Um, we try to get around the Southwest uh, to various shows and, and do book signings. So uh, always happy to see you. Um, oh, I don't know. We did one in Tombstone. I was there signing uh, autographs with Johnny Ringo, Michael Bean, 
from the movie. Mm-hmm. Michael was charging 80 bucks for an autograph. And I was across uh, the aisle from him. I was charging 30 bucks for an autograph and I threw in a free book. You're a deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a deal. Well, there you have it. That's Doug. Again, go to DougHawking.com and you're going to want to pick up his new book um, as soon as it comes out and uh, and add it to your, uh, read it and then add it to your collection of Western history and use it as a reference. Um, it's it's going to be a fantastic read and I think you're going to love it. Um, as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and uh, make sure you follow, subscribe, hit the subscribe button, give a rating and a review. It does help with distribution. Uh, if you're a YouTuber or you like to listen on YouTube, you'll find this podcast on YouTube at Cochise County underscore travels. Make sure you uh, so hit the subscribe button and uh, again, leave a rating and review. It helps YouTube uh, distribute those out. Uh, and if you want to get a hold of Doug for any reason, for books, or you have additional information or speaking events, because he does go to speaking events and he will come to your event and speak, uh, you can go to DougHawking.com. Anything else before we go? Anything? Are we good? Yeah, you, you just, your voice disappeared for a oh. second there. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're good to go. We appreciate you guys a bunch. Uh, safe travels, and we'll see you soon.